0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 123 for Monday, January 11th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as
1: Ifs, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir. And if you are new to the podcast and you're wondering why we sound so chipper, it's just because we've just spent about 15 minutes talking about Chinese food, shakshuka, vegetarian meals, and planning for the long winter months and our refrigerators. And if you'd like to hear more of that conversation, you can get the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast over at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. It's one of the benefits to our patrons. Another benefit to our patrons is getting access to the quarterly hangouts where we break down the podcast and how it's doing, download numbers, talk about what kind of things we'd like to do in the future. We have the Q4 quarterly hangout for 2020 coming up soon. We haven't been able to schedule it yet because 2021 is off to the races, and we just kind of holding on to our our saddles and hoping we can uh, sort out when to do that. But it's coming up, so keep your eyes out for that if you're a patron, uh, and we'd like to get your feedback when that happens.
0: Absolutely. And uh, yeah, with all the food discussion, I'm surprised that we're not spending more of today's episode talking about food in Minecraft, which is a topic that I think we've (laughs) broached many times, but instead we have some other news to share with you. Before we get into that, though, let's talk a little bit about what we've been doing in Minecraft this week. How
1: is your medieval town shaping up? Uh, quite well, actually. Uh, I had a weird weekend where I s- did a lot of streaming, had a lot of fun, but didn't necessarily build a lot of things. It was a lot of planning, a lot of tearing down a Minecraft village, taking inspiration from where they had placed that particular house, but saying like, mm, I kind of want to build my own in that spot, maybe just four blocks left or four blocks right, that kind of thing. And uh, I'm working on now the east side of the town. I think the last time I was talking about the town i was talking about the south gate which i did finish uh, over the last week or so uh but i thought i i tend to strive creatively when i have at least some limitations and so i thought you know i should put the gates in first and figure out where at least a good portion of these walls are going to be mm-hmm. and then i can fit the houses in where they need to go uh, rather than building houses in nice neat little spots where i'm most comfortable and then building a wall around them Uh, i'd I'd much rather have it feel more lived in um, things being built on top of them having a little bit more history etc and so i um, am using the um, zeros minimap and world map tool uh, which is a, a mod for fabric it uh, doesn't really affect gameplay so much. It just makes it so much easier to plan this stuff from overhead. Mm-hmm. Saves my viewers on Twitch for me flying around like a madman with rockets trying to say, like, does that look good as you're flying by at 200 miles an hour? And you, yeah, right. you can't really stop. Uh, so so this that's helped a lot. Uh, I've planned out a town square. I've started um, taking tips from WIP uh, and m- mapping up some footprints. I'm not doing it all at once. I'm kind of doing it bit by bit. Uh, just cause it's more fun. I think that way for, for both me and viewers, but, uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's really cool just to throw up a little frame, like just a little wireframe of a house and realize, oh, cool, this is going to frame the street. And then if, if I put the keep in this town where I have originally planned it, I'm trying to also frame these streets so that when you go down a street and you turn a corner like there's the giant keep like off in the distance framed by buildings on your left and right you know trying to figure out paths of the eye i treat these things off a lot like paintings you know compositions and photographs and things like that when you're going through them um but it's been super fun it it's one of those streams where at the end of the day and you look around you haven't really built much like the n- nothing vertical has really been erected you know um but with the land clearing planning road planning i just feel better about the area like i just have you might be able to speak to this with the the town that you did with the different sections like i just feel like i know where i'm going now yeah. if that makes any sense
0: yeah yeah the the identity of a place really starts to take shape after a while and I think, yeah, you've got a really neat overview here. One thing about the the east side of the town you're saying, the one that's got the the village houses and stuff on it, the the thing that stands out to this from me and the thing that gives it way more character than I think the normal village would have is the angles of the roads and then you've got one diagonal house that's just like on an intersection between two of the roads where like the road bends and Mm -hmm. somehow just having that one house and not even like a house there, it's like a wireframe like you said right now just implying that yes there will be a diagonal house here somehow lends so much more life to the area around it than just having all of these otherwise square boxes of the village houses and whether you plan to add more of those or not just having one house that's a little bit different can sometimes just make a world of difference to a project like this
1: thanks yeah it's it's They're challenging. It's hard to do them in the right scale. Um, I I think the hardest part about having an angled house, especially in that particular position, is it's small. Uh, Even the barn that I did at an angle, it was kind of small. (laughs) So you run into some challenges there. I do find like the staggered house is is an easier way to do that. So it's not the, the, the angles of the house, the walls of the house are not on an angle so much as like they're both square boxes, but it's like you take two five by fives and you kind of offset them by a block. And if you do that, twice or three times then you can kind of get something that looks like it's on an angle or a very subtle angle in minecraft but not have to build on an angle all of your roof lines are still basically straight like yeah you know 90 degrees um but with this i just didn't want um i didn't want to be able to walk in the front gate and look straight into the town square mm-hmm. i wanted to move the town square down a little bit so it felt like it was more in the middle and i also wanted to build a church and i wanted the church to basically go from the town square to the wall um there is a minecraft church in the or a village church in in this village um and it's roughly in the spot i want to turn it um 90 degrees and make it obviously much bigger and different and stuff like that but um i and i have no idea what i'm going to do there i haven't even looked at references for churches so i've got i've never built a big church in minecraft so Uh, I'm looking forward to trying new stuff like that. But I just like the idea of just not having straight roads and um, trying to present not problems, but at least challenges for myself. And the great thing is like if the challenge doesn't work out or if it really ends up with you bashing your head against your monitor, like I just can't figure this out. You can just change it. It's Minecraft. You can just make the road straight. It's why there's, you know, like while I did put the angled house there, there's another house on the corner of the of the town square that's a square. Like it's mm-hmm. an L shape. It makes a corner because I just, for whatever reason, I just wanted to make sure at least one of these corners of this town square had like a hard 90 yeah. degree corner on it, you know?
0: Otherwise visibly it kind of loses a bit of its shape. And yeah, yeah. that that makes a lot of sense. I also really dig what you're saying about uh, not having the town square be like the thing that you get straight line of sight to from the gate. And that's sort mm-hmm. of like the way they design like shopping centers and department stores and it kind of bumps up against, like, accessibility stuff now, but a lot of the time you'll find that the escalator to get you up to the next floor is, like, at the back of the shop, so you have to walk past all of the stuff that you want to buy before you get to, like, the place that you need to go to get the thing that you're supposed to be there for. And, like, I feel like the same principle can kind of apply two minecraft towns is you don't want to have people walk straight to the center of the town and then the back gate is immediately in front of them and then they walk straight out of the other side you want people to explore the town a little bit to find those centerpieces and that actually rewards the player by allowing them to look around a little bit more so (laughs) that's a, a weird analogy to draw there but i feel like the same principles can kind of apply if you want people to spend time looking around and and exploring a build then it, it makes sense to not put the landmarks front and center
1: i do have that issue with the north south uh the north south road is is pretty pretty straight through the town with the, the north and south gates being offset but only a little bit i think the only saving grace there might be the fact that the river is going to be a good kind of like diversion uh, that runs parallel to the road so at least there'll be something visually to kind of pull you left and right plus there'll be the big keep on the hill and stuff but yeah and you've got roads
0: that kind of they curve and turn a little bit and so it's not like you know in in, in directly in front of you it's not like symmetrically in front of you i think no yeah
1: it's not not a not a grid although it would be kind of cool to experiment with um you know a lot of old cities in the world started off as military you know installations and so there's a military grid downtown uh and then you've got um the 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 garden pattern street planning since as modern times come over like cul-de-sacs and stuff like that get farther away but like halifax where i live you know downtown dartmouth it's an old military town from the 1700s so like it's a downtown grid uh and it'd be interesting to kind of experiment with that in something larger in minecraft where you might have a grid at a port but then the farther away you get the more squirrely you know Mm -hmm. and and ornate things could be
0: yeah definitely
1: So what have you been up to, man?
0: I am doing a bunch more work in my Minecraft RTX world because I really wanted to get the house done that I started last week, and it came together super well. Uh, I've just started on the interior of it, and this is where the Minecraft RTX stuff is really going to shine because there's there's some really interesting interactions between what is rendered as light and what is block light in-game. And those do not always overlap. Like, I I think I talked about this briefly last week, but jack-o'-lanterns have a front face that's obviously the pumpkin cutout that the light shines through. And in vanilla Minecraft, just in default graphics, they have a global illumination all around them. They, they, They tend to emit light omnidirectionally. And in RTX, they only emit light from the front face, where the cutout is. And so you can use those not only as directional, almost like spotlights, but you can also hide them in the floor, even under carpet. And you can hide other light sources under carpet as well. And the, the light won't show through. It doesn't render any visible light to the player, but still lights the rest of the world, or the the, the room around them in this case. So what I've done is I've put uh, jack-o'-lanterns underneath the floor of this hallway that i built as the entry hallway to the house and there's just a long carpet there and the rest of the hallway can be completely dark and it's still like lit up and spawn proof so what i end up doing is putting redstone lamps in the ceiling and having a light switch by the door and suddenly that seems like a much more practical thing to have because normally you'd be worried about stuff spawning inside of there if you turned the lights off <laughs> but then this way it can actually be like you know a functional light switch for the player so I, I I have a couple of screenshots that I'll put in the show notes of the hallway with the lights on and off and it actually feels like you're walking into a more real house as a result because you can just look to your right and I've uplit the light switch with a uh, shroom light I think in the end and so you can look to your right you see the light switch you turn the light switch on boom suddenly the hallway is there and without those overhead lights you also can't see into the recesses where the doors are so you it it kind of encourages you to turn the lights on so that you can see everything around you as opposed Mm. to just making sure it's like a functional uh lighting thing for for mob proofing purposes so there's there's a couple of details of this that really stand out to me and it's the kind of stuff that i want to experiment a whole lot more with because being able to separate lighting from mob spawns is something we've talked about in the past and something that i know a lot of people want and in this case we're not really doing that but we are hiding the fact that there is lighting in the area for some parts of it and so beyond just having control over the color of the lighting it's allowing us to have control over how light or dark something is without having to you know build on a mushroom island like a lot of people tend to do when they want to uh, to play around with light uh, the last thing I'll say about this build is that having a luminescent mushroom, having a, a warped fungus by the door, it sort of feels a little bit like a nightlight. But that's one of the standout details of this for me is being able to have this like soft red glow coming from a recess by a, a, a painting uh, in on on the wall, and it just it feels like a lot more alive to be able to play around with subtle lighting details like this and not worry about zombies spawning in my house while I'm away. So this is a
1: warped mushroom? Warped yeah, it's a, it's a warped
0: fungus, yeah, from, from the nether. Warped fungi.
1: Uh, so is that, in RTX, is that native to give off light, or is that a texture pack that you've
0: uh, added? I, I I think, I mean, it, it's all based on texture packs anyway. Um, I don't know right. if in vanilla Minecraft they might be, like, lightly bioluminescent. I will look that up, because I know, like, regular right. mushrooms, the brown mushrooms give off a light level of 1. Oh, um, do they? Oh. Yeah, they do. It, I mean, it's, it's subtle, and you wouldn't really care to Mm. use it for anything because it's only a light level of one it's not functionally very useful um Mm -hmm. but if you just look at warped fungus i think it might have like a slight okay apparently it's not luminant in the in vanilla minecraft uh, so,
1: of all the mushrooms that would be, you'd think it would because it looks like it has parts of shroom light in it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's got those kind of like little orange uh, mm-hmm. blobs to it. And and I like the fact that the, the texture pack maker, in this case Kelly's RTX is the one I'm using, has put in elements like that. There are still a few things missing, like sea pickles don't seem to give off any kind of light even when they're underwater, but again, those are block light still and so that that could be kind of interesting to use in the same way that jack-o'-lanterns have been to conceal lighting in certain areas rather than um you know have it be present all of the time but then there are there are some blocks obviously like i mentioned last week with the um lapis redstone and emerald blocks that are not native light sources from just the vanilla game but have been programmed in this texture pack to give off certain colors of light as far as rendering it goes for the player so i i kind of like messing around with the the difference between those two and it's something that i expect will confuse a newer player because the only reason i'm really able to play around with this stuff is because i know what works for lighting for mob spawn proofing in minecraft and what doesn't and so i can see where the argument lies for it would be nice to have a way of separating mob spawning from lighting but then how do you tell so easily which areas are spawn proofed and which aren't right um so yeah i'm just playing around with ideas for all of this stuff right now i'm building a big fireplace in a kitchen that's got a nice warm glow that you can see through the windows from outside and yeah it's it's a really neat little passion project for me right now is working on a slightly kind of medieval but like with a couple of contemporary touches uh style house and then uh, working on where the series is going to go from there. I think eventually Cyberpunk City <laughs> is probably the place it's headed because you nice. just you can't not with all of these op- options for for neon lighting and stuff. But, well, uh, and
1: reflectivity too, like with glass yeah. reflecting things, and absolutely, it, just, it means you could build something once, put it next to a couple of glass walls, and you've got three versions of it reflecting at different angles and different densities, and like it just it makes things feel so much busier and more fun and alive, and yeah, absolutely. Like sure. uh, there's there's
0: a couple of interesting things I have found about it though, like for example, the fog glass effect. Uh, is is less of a thing in in Minecraft RTX, and that's partly mm. because of the the clear glass uh, texture pack I'm using, making things look a little bit more transparent, and therefore allowing the light to flood through it in a way that's very pure and isn't kind of framed by the the glass texture, but also. If you layer up multiple different types of glass it has a harder time processing what the viewer should be seeing through that and you start to see a lot more of like the the lines between how the blocks are lit in in almost the same way as if you turned off smooth lighting in vanilla minecraft right? Right. It it tends to look very kind of blocky at a certain point, and I think that's the game just trying to process, like, okay, so this is supposed to be filtering that, but then that's supposed to be filtering what's beyond it, and it just kind of layers up in a weird way that sort of breaks the the immersion a little bit. Uh, But somebody asked, like, how does that fog effect look, and, you know, could you layer up glass and have something similar? And I expect the effect is more to be found in uh, you know, the reflectivity of materials than I think messing around too much with the, the translucency of them.
1: Yeah, and I would think too that, I mean, in RTX, um, achieving that kind of like glow from below, you just have to put something glowy at the bottom. You, you don't need necessarily the glass effect. Like you're, I, what, what I think of is the uh, phenomenon you pointed out a, a week or two ago, which is the clouds being lit by a lava source mm-hmm. that they're close enough to. Yes. So if you want a, a ravine to have yeah. a green glow from the bottom um just put you know one filter of green light at the bottom and then just have bright lights and it'll just go up the walls and achieve the kind of look that i think people just get used to that fog effect and really it's just a um for the lack of a better way to say it a poor man's way of getting this kind of look you know Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah it really is um outside of that though i'm still working in java minecraft on my usual series i've Uh, done a bunch on the nether hub in the survival guide. I'm looking forward to installing a few more biome dioramas around that, but that's all cleared out. And I also broke a bedrock hole in the nether ceiling with a radius of about seven. So I now have this 14 block wide circle directly above the center of my nether hub so that I can get rid of the minecart elevator that was just still poking down from the ceiling that took me up to my gold farm. And now, once I clear out the rest of the netherrack in there, which I'm probably going to do tomorrow, it will just be a hole straight through from the center of my nether hub up to the sky of the nether, basically. Uh, Man, and how long did that take? About nine hours, Joel. About oh. <laughs> about nine hours. I did it over two streams, and then I just chuck another stream on in the background, and I did the rest of it off camera, because I just thought, oh, it's, it's so repetitive. I would have done the netherite beacon all over again uh, and mm. had a better time, because... Like, bedrock breaking methods, there are some that are 100% reliable, there are some that are less so, and I was using one of the ones that was a little bit more materially efficient, like only using one TNT at a time, but had a slightly lower success rate. And so you're constantly kind of wondering have i done this right like is it working has it just glitched out am i not gonna see it work again when like you've tried the same thing six or seven or eight times and it still hasn't broken the bedrock and then you get the one that works and you're like oh okay i was just like just had to wait for it to to be on the right tick cycle or something i don't know exactly how the method works it's a uh, the raise works method uh, of breaking bedrock. But yeah, it it was um <laughs> it it was it was a chore. Uh but yeah. I think the the overall effect will be quite cool and it'll mean I get to tidy up the one loose end from the uh the surroundings of my Nether Hub, which is going to feel very I, good.
1: And I mean, I tip my hat to you sir because I would be very tempted to just be like and the lore dictates that we now have godlike powers <laughs> <and> <laughs> no, I am now in creative mode and yeah, oh right. look, I have the power to delete this yeah. um this block because i mean i can see myself doing something like that for uh like say the end portal or maybe one of the end gateways where you've got like Four, six, maybe eight blocks of of bedrock to remove, but not a circle yeah. of that's fourteen blocks wide. Yeah, I'm a, like, I'm, a gl- just... I'm a glutton for
0: punishment, and it's called the Minecraft Survival yeah. Guide for a reason. It's the kind of yeah. thing where I I expect oh, a, few, I get that. Yeah. a few more cynical folks will be like, "You clearly did this in creative," and I'm like, "Well, I've done two streams worth of it, so I think I've proven my point at this stage." Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, yeah I, I I felt like I had to, and and I just went went ahead and did the rest of it in survival anyway. Um, no, and it's
1: and it's a nice badge of honor. I mean, like one of the things that I respect a lot about uh, Cubfan from Hermitcraft is like the scale at which he does things in in survival, mm-hmm. and because of the content that he generates from it, like it just and same thing with you with the Netherite Beacon and like in the Bedrock stuff. Like there is something to be said for the folks that know how can do and will do that stuff in survival Minecraft, and I'm just like wow, like I just I I'm still uh even despite watching a few clips of you um, breaking it because I wanted to see how it was done, I I still just think like, well, I'm kind of glad that I've decided uh, or we have decided, I guess, collectively on the Citadel that the nether roof is off limits. Like we're just mm-hmm. not going to go up there uh, because it means that I don't have to worry about doing that kind of stuff in survival.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, <laughs> it's the kind of thing I'm considering for a future season two of the Survival Guide when I, I think maybe I'll start doing more stuff inside the nether cavern and mm. and and aim for that it's just a lot of work as i'm sure you're aware because you've been slabbing that uh, that zombie pigman farm for a long time still um, not done <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still like on the back burner like we'll come back to it yeah Uh, Well, Let's move on to the news. Uh, We have a little bit of sad news uh, this week, and that is that Minecraft Earth is coming to an end. Uh, Mojang Studios has announced through an article on Minecraft.net and in a few other places that they are ceasing support for Minecraft Earth on June 30th, 2021. The final build for the game was released with an update on January 5th, which has done a couple of things. If you're thinking about checking out Minecraft Earth before it is eventually sunsetted, then here is some stuff that might uh, might help you make that decision. They have entirely removed uh, real money transactions. Uh, they have dras- drastically reduced ruby costs for buying stuff like build plates, etc. Uh, and they've included all completed unreleased content that was currently in their pipeline. They've reduced time requirements for crafting and smelting. They've replaced unused crafting and smelting boosts with radius boosts of the same level, allowing you to pick up resources from further away and they've granted a set of character creator items to any players who sign in between January 5th and June 30th, which could thereafter be used for the Bedrock Edition character creator. There is a little bit more stuff listed in the article on minecraft.net, but it does seem like Minecraft Earth is going to be ceasing operations, shutting down, and will no longer be accessible or downloadable from the App Store after June 30th of this year um starting on monday january 18th 2021 uh, the minecraft dungeons launcher is also closing down but so it can migrate over to the minecraft java edition launcher for a unified java experience Uh, so don't worry you're still going to be able to play minecraft dungeons on your pc if you've bought it through the mojang website Uh, this shouldn't affect anybody who has bought Uh, minecraft dungeons through the microsoft store on their pc and it's obviously going to have no effect on the console edition of the game either Uh, and this is probably just tied to mojang accounts migrating to microsoft accounts but uh, just bearing in mind if you're still interested in playing minecraft dungeons if you're thinking about picking up dlc or you have the season pass it is worth noting that the uh, the minecraft java edition launcher is going to be where you find minecraft dungeons from january
1: 18th onwards Speaking of that, that's kind of, that's where it is now for me. Not that it launches from there, but the Java launcher launches the Dungeons launcher Yeah, <laughs> right mm-hmm. now, kind of to get you used to that mechanic, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I'm probably going to have to do a little bit of behind the scenes work figuring out how I tie my Mojang account to my Microsoft account, because I think they are both on different things. Like my Xbox gamer tag is now on a different email address than my... Uh, oh. my my original like Pixel Refs Mojang account is, so I might have to try and try and get a, a, a do a bit of uh swapping around behind the scenes to make sure everything lines up in one place. But I'm uh, not
1: sure how that works because I'm pretty sure that when I signed up for Minecraft Dungeons and I would have used, I guess the Min- my Windows Live account. I don't mm-hmm. remember. I don't know how this goes. I have one Windows ID. I narrowed it down to one. Uh, I use the same password. I just signed into my Xbox recently because I'm looking to get a new one with the Series X coming out and I wanted to make sure that my you know, account was still active and stuff. And so it was the right email and password because I had to guess at it at the console. And the only thing I'm concerned about is I, I think my handle on uh, Xbox is one thing, but on Dungeons, it's another. But I don't know if that's just Dungeon specific or if that's my Windows Live account. Yeah, I'm not I'd sure. To, I'd have to go back and check. <laughs> yeah. But I mean I only I only use the one email. Like I I have one main email for most of that kind of stuff. I have multiple emails, but they're usually tied to podcasts. So I I really only have the one Gmail account that I use for a lot of things and it it helps it. St- like it helps from helps me to not have the problem that you might be having, which yeah. is having you know IDs tied to different email addresses and stuff. Yeah, when when I when I
0: created my Minecraft account initially, uh, ifs as an identity didn't really exist, so I didn't have an email address set up for right. it yet. Uh, mm. So so a few things have changed around ever since. But uh, yeah, uh, I I feel like it was worth pointing out because I I logged into the Minecraft Dungeons launcher the other day. Um, the reason I was doing that in the first place, even though there's there's not really a great deal going on in Dungeons right now, is that for a start uh, as i mentioned last week uh awesome games done quick happened the speedrunning marathon event and Mifa sr did a minecraft dungeon speedrun that took 41 minutes and 32 seconds to complete the main game in its entirety or wh- rather to complete it and see like the end credits the end cutscene um they didn't play all of the stages because you only need to play a certain number of stages to progress Um, But And the category was basically just any percent, like complete the game uh, by the shortest route possible. Really cool to watch though. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes, there's a YouTube VOD of it now, uh, so you can go back and watch that. Really, really interesting run. And it's amazing how much they both exploit about some of the level geometry to get a faster route through a level, and there's some different combinations of stuff that I wouldn't necessarily have considered the fastest thing, but once they know how to use certain weapons and stuff like that, it, it just it makes a lot of sense. Um, in the meantime, the Minecraft Dungeon speedrunner community heard that I was interested in watching this, and they reached out to me on Twitter and asked if I was interested in helping to host a tournament they're planning, where basically speedrunners will face off and try and get like... The best time and it's kind of like a tournament bracket style thing until you have essentially the two best runners in the community facing off against each other uh so that's going to be happening at some point end of january beginning of february maybe uh stay tuned for more news about that because i'll uh, be talking to you guys about that in
1: future i admire the knowledge and skill that it takes for dungeon speedruns or any kind of speedrun really mm-hmm. but i i fail to see the fun in it and that's just me i'm not i'm not saying it's not a fun thing for those that are doing it otherwise they wouldn't do it right like i mean yeah i i think it boils down to the fact that i'm just not a competitive person i never have been yeah uh and but i look at this i just think like that is not how i want to play that game
0: yeah yeah no it's it's there there is a competitive element to it in that just being the fastest at something is achievable in basically any game Um, And and it's it's almost like a unifying thing for the community that like everybody understands that if somebody has a world record in a specific game, it's because they've completed it in the fastest time by whatever standards they set for completion, which is usually like final cutscene, end credits, that kind of stuff um Mm -hmm. and and having watched agdq for a few years now i i kind of see the appeal and it's the same with with minecraft java speedruns or or, i I don't know how big the bedrock speedrunning community is but the the vanilla minecraft speedrunning community it's like the the level of technical knowledge required to play through some of the games the amount of luck and the the kind of the interesting uh moments that can produce i feel like is is what makes it interesting it's it's like the near death experiences people have in hardcore worlds and stuff like that there are just these flashes of brilliance in amongst a bunch of what is otherwise fairly repetitive gameplay like i watched a few of these guys uh, just kind of practice the speed runs and, and aim for world record stuff and half the time they never leave creeper woods because they don't get boots of swiftness and that's really what carries you through the later levels at a faster speed so as a hobby it can seem kind of mundane and repetitive from the outside but then there is still that glint of hope that you might get a faster time than you've ever had before and it's all about getting like your personal best time like follow anybody else who does java edition speedruns like cubfan
1: now is doing them basically all the I time i was going to bring that up because i i rated him one time and he was doing a speedrun and there he was talking about like this is going to be the fifth or sixth reset if we don't see a village in the next like you know 60 seconds or something mm-hmm. and i was just kind of like yes, yeah. yeah, he that aspect of luck is where i'm just like and that's where i tap out because yeah. uh, i remember the days of me playing a lot of starcraft 2 and uh, once you get up to a certain level in that game like there is just one way to play it. If you're yeah. a certain race, you have to do this in this order at it's this like time. You've
0: got a Zerg rush, you've got to set up pylons, yeah. whatever. Like yeah. You either have to
1: <laughs> defend a Zerg rush or like whatever it is that you have to do. You have to do it at a very specific time. Otherwise, the other person doing their exact, like not speed run, but their precise early game moves. If you're not countering in exactly the, the way that you're supposed to, you'll get your butt handed to you. Or yeah. it'll just make for a longer... Lost like you you won't lose immediately you'll lose in like fifteen minutes or something, and I just found like well what if I don't want to do that like what if I have a different strategy that I want to try, and it just it ended up being like the meta for the game was just like no 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 it's this way or you lose like well that's not fun for me anymore yeah sure,
0: sure. you know
1: I I liked taking advantage of the landscape and putting siege tanks on hills and stuff like that but if if I can't be creative and have fun with it then I just tend to not like it
0: yeah yeah well it's it's not for everybody but it's an interesting no. community so if and nice that
1: that sorry go ahead
0: and if anybody's interested in in checking it out once again uh, a link to that is in the show notes and there's a really interesting community of people around speedrunning in general but uh but this game specifically needs i think a little bit more love
1: yeah and and i don't um i don't want to poo-poo speedrunning of course yeah, like no, i mean no, no. i think it's awesome that everybody can play this game the way that the way that it was intended but then also you can put speedruns into minecraft and minecraft dungeons like it's it's just another way to play which is always a good thing
0: Let's talk about Minecraft Earth then, uh, because I know we've talked about it in the in the, in the the past and I think while obviously we've had our issues with it, we've both been fairly complimentary about the way it was executed, um, but it is a shame of course that um, through, I mean largely I think due to COVID lockdowns and people not being able to go out and experience Minecraft Earth as it was intended, uh, but I think also in small part due to stuff like battery life requirements and people being unable to play at all because of how intensive the AR requirements of the app are. It really feels like Minecraft Earth was an ambitious project released at an unfortunate time. Um and and i kind of i inflicted the podcaster's curse on it because i gave it a nod last week in the let's look back on how 2020 was and uh, and it immediately mentioned minecraft earth and then right after that the announcement of it shutting down came basically the next day so uh, unfortunate there but how do you feel about this whole uh, the whole minecraft earth situation
1: i mean it's too bad but it's not surprising for yeah. me uh, and, and and that's not to say that I'm just saying that because it wasn't a game for me because uh, most of the reason I think I didn't play it much was uh, I, I wasn't out a lot and this is talking about before the pandemic um, I just wasn't out a lot and when I did, I did run into those battery issues but even when it was working I did not necessarily find it all that fun I was more so playing so that we could talk about it here on the show Sure. Um, and I mean other things like small phones it's probably more fun on a big screen that kind of thing uh, but I think that's one part bad luck with, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic, but also bad timing. I mean, they launched going into the winter in the Northern Hemisphere, could have picked a better time. Yeah. Now, had they waited, they wouldn't have launched at all because it would have been in 2020. Uh, and then had they done, had it been ready earlier, well, then they could have potentially been releasing something buggy. So like, I understand that, you know, there, there was a window that they had and that's what they had. Um, however, on on a lighter note, I do find that you know there is some hope with like the resources that were being spent on minecraft earth will now be refocused on other mojang properties whether that's dungeons or bringing some things into vanilla minecraft there's things like the glow squid and the woolly cow and some fun things that could be added to minecraft i kind of look at it like um when you have a new development in technology and it's like, it's a bathtub that you can operate with your voice and creates fog. And you're just like, that sounds stupid and really expensive. And why would anybody want that? But that's a proof of concept, right? Like it's it's not that product that is necessarily going to be uh, adopted into the technology world, but it's how that product might work. So things like how Minecraft Earth works, the kind of things where they thought, hey, in Minecraft Earth, we don't have to be beholden to this oldest time java bedrock community we can actually just throw spaghetti at the wall like the glow squid like the woolly cow see what sticks change the color of chickens add some different stuff and have fun with it and experiment and that allows them to stretch their legs and then maybe fold that stuff and that creativity back into minecraft or minecraft dungeons down the line so it's not all a bad thing you know like I think that the fact that it had enough legs that they were able to put some serious development into it and updated it at least twice I think over the course of its uh course of its year uh as a game then I, I think that that's um that's worth noting you know
0: yeah it's kind of flown under the radar but there have been multiple kind of seasons of content rolling out uh I think accompanied by different themed build plates and different types of mobs you could find and that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. while yes the format of it tended to get a little bit collect 'em up uh in in terms of you know it following obviously on the heels of pokemon go but also having um you know a lot of the the variety come from all of these different mob variants and stuff yeah like you say it's a, it's a good testing ground a, a sandbox for a sandbox there you as go, it yeah. were and you know who knows maybe this kind of technology will redevelop a little bit the way vr is having a, a bit of a renaissance now when the concept which was originally floated kind of back in the 90s um and and when it sort of starts to recapture everybody's imagination again maybe ar makes another appearance and maybe we see something else if not the same as minecraft dungeons then maybe another fork in a different direction we'll uh, we'll see uh the last thing i wanted to touch on and this is non-minecraft news which is why i didn't include it in the main news read but um i stumbled upon this on my twitter timeline thanks to uh, lena bookworm who retweeted this uh from somebody else um the Smithsonian Institution, which is responsible for a bunch of museums and galleries in the United States, they're kind of like a, a fairly well-respected museum institution, has just released a ton of images into the public domain from, you know, their own archives and stuff, sort of digital uh, recordings of a bunch of material that is probably available in various galleries and so forth, but might just be in their, their archives at this point. Um, they've released a ton of images And uh, all of this can be used by artists and educators without attribution. Um, So again, a link to that is going to be in the the show notes. And the reason I found this so fascinating is because there are over 2 million, I think 2.5 million images. And of those, there are 44,000 images related to architecture alone. You can filter by topic and choose architecture. You can even filter it into subcategories from there, like dwellings, cityscapes, interior decoration religious buildings uh, there are a bunch of subcategories like that and there are, there'll be a few other things that i think will also apply but i think this is a really neat resource for anybody who wants more reference material for minecraft builds which is something that we've talked about previously and something i've talked about wanting to get into this year is studying architecture more um, a lot of these are going to be black and white pictures. A lot of them are older pictures of of buildings that were, you know, erected in the, the late 1800s or early 1900s, that kind of thing, when obviously color photographs are not that common, and a lot of these are for archival purposes. But you'll stumble upon some really interesting stuff there. Uh, just looking through the architecture filter, there are a few things that are like unrelated like portraits and stuff but literally everything else is a a front shot of a house or a a building in the middle of a city or a cool landscape and i feel like it comes across as really neat minecraft inspiration if you've got the uh the right point
1: of view on it oh man i mean this is a great find i it took me 10 seconds to find like three things i want to build in minecraft yeah like I I went down the road of classical architecture which is going to be in the realm of drawings instead of photographs it's going to be artist renderings and pen and ink drawings and and um, uh, pencil sketches and stuff like that think the kind of thing you might have seen if someone's talking about like you know Leonardo da Vinci's sketchbook that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff Uh, which is great because it it gives you like already an interpretation of the thing you don't have to think about like lines and space and and, and stuff somebody has already taken care of that for you as to what's important in the design yeah uh, so if you're looking to do some classical architecture maybe aqueducts or or big arenas or or um big arches with um not cul-de-sacs but like um circular can't remember what those are called not knaves but like there's the open courtyards and things like that that have walls and statues around them like man there are some beautiful drawings in here uh just from again i spent literally 10 seconds it was incredible.
0: Yeah, the the one thing I will complain about, as far as this uh, <laughs> as far as this site goes, is the layout of it. is one of those things where you have to scroll down and click Show More, and it loads more on the page instead of having to like go from page one to page two to page three, and so eventually mm. you're just loading like. 500 plus images onto the same page so it might get a little bit difficult to scroll through everything to find the thing you want but then again it is the kind of thing where if you see something just drag it onto your desktop or into a pictures folder or something and you'll have that later and you don't need to worry about attributing it to the specific sources all of which are there on the smithsonian website if you want them um but but super cool and i think it's really really neat that all of this stuff is now out there in the public domain and we can potentially use it for more minecraft inspo nice
1: Moving on into email this week, uh, we have a couple of emails coming in to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. First one comes from Paul Bo Baggins, our content engineer member, or one of our content engineer members uh, Powdered Snow, sorry, Powder Snow, Protection, and Frozen Caves. Hey Johnny and Joel, as I was listening to a discussion about powder snow in episode 121, I had an idea for powder snow. What if Mojang added a frozen cave potentially found in mountain biomes? The entrance could be uh, through a powder snow trap, and perhaps the cave could contain a stray spawner or loot chests that contain the quote unquote snowwalker enchantment that Sam C mentioned in his email on episode 121. On that note, I also think Frostwalker would work to quote unquote defend against powder snow, in that it might freeze over the top layer of snow and let you walk acro- across it safely. I wish you and the entire Spawn Chunks community a very chunky new year, Paul Bo baggins I am already well ahead of you on the chunky new year (laughs) i have some work to do to work off my christmas pudding uh i uh i also want to give a nod to mojang for yet again uh naming a block in minecraft that is constantly auto-corrected by any kind of spell check Mm -hmm. so powder snow without the ed is the correct block name but every time i type it uh my my spell checks wants to change it to powdered snow uh both of which are grammatically correct i guess but only one is the correct block name so i apologize for going back and forth on that
0: at least it's not another uh shulker situation where oh, like, my geez, my yeah. phone doesn't know what to do with that
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, i've nearly sworn at some family members talking about shulker boxes uh i think that uh the idea of stray spawners specifically like in mountain biomes or something frozen uh is a great idea i like the idea i mean because it's not it's still a skeleton spawner like you're just going to get the same drops but it just adds a nice little fun flavor to it right Mm -hmm. uh i think that would be really cool um a stray thought yuck 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 i wonder what cave or mountain generation will look like in frozen tundra plains or ice spikes biomes. Like I haven't I've only just thought about mountains and mountain biomes being different. I haven't thought about any of the other more vertical biomes and how they might change with the caves and cliffs update. So, uh very curious to see how that might uh might change things cuz can you imagine like an ice spikes biome that borders a mountain biome in the new mountain biome? Like how that might look. I, ice spikes going up the side of a mountain perhaps. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Um I already really like what ice spikes do if there is any interesting terrain in the neighborhood. There is... Uh, I don't know if it happens as much anymore with some of the other tweaks that have happened to terrain generation, but I definitely saw one a while back where one of the ice spikes basically pierced an overhang and went straight through from the ground underneath it to the top and and and, and up through the, the side of it, almost like this enormous like spear tip had come up through the ground. And nice. yeah, stuff, stuff like that always looks really really impressive even though it's probably just a quirk of terrain generation it's still super fun and so yeah if if you had some of the ice spikes rising up the side of a mountain that'd be really cool looking
1: do you think that there's going to be a yet to be revealed frozen or icy cave biome that could be its own little chilly ecosystem like not necessarily something that you have to find in one of these frozen biomes like maybe you're just digging under a plains biome and i mean it's minecraft there's endermen and phantoms walking around so like it's it's conceivable that you could dig down into something that could end up being like oh wow It's, it's it's not the fiery nether but it's it's like this frozen kind of like cave of of Just ice spikes and all kinds of crazy stuff that you just would never come across, maybe providing access out of pure luck, you know, to things like snow and ice or um, packed ice uh, because of the biome being present in a a world where you might have to walk a lot farther to find like ice spikes and things like that
0: yeah i think that that's certainly an option and frozen oceans are the only other place to get stuff like that right, right. now and unless you're farming ice on a mountaintop somewhere and so yeah I, I think i think it could be a a worthwhile thing again using existing blocks to transform caves and stuff like that uh in in the new generation is is potentially still a a fun way of of making caves uh, mixing caves up a little bit so yeah i i can i can see something like that happening um it kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about for potentially having a a structure in mountains. We talked about it as though it were a monastery sort of like inspired by the Howling Peaks DLC of Minecraft Dungeons. But right. I think it could equally be something like uh, Paul Bo Baggins is suggesting, like a uh, having a, a frozen cave somewhere and there being spawners or loot in there. Maybe it's like uh, almost like a base camp or like a, a, a sort of halfway uh, point climbing a mountain you could imagine that people have found an an easy cave li- leave a campfire in there and and maybe a couple of crates with supplies in or something like that and it could kind of add a little bit of lore as though maybe some villagers have tried to climb this mountain maybe the wandering trader's been up there you know um, i i feel like you could very easily make a set piece of your own out of that even if it wasn't naturally generated by minecraft but again if you're talking about adding yeah, a little bit more life to the world in the same way that the archaeological dig sites are going to do then maybe there are ways that you can mix in little cave structures like that into some of the larger mountain generation also potentially provides a cool way of taking it in another direction uh having a start to stuff like abandoned mineshafts or a structure like that that implies mining was going to take place here. You you come across one of these frozen caves, but it's already beamed and propped like they're going to start mining there and they just haven't. And that can potentially lead players into discovering veins of copper and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I think having, you know, renewed mountain generation is one thing, but I think also having more than just that as a reason to go and visit them, having a loot incentive... And that kind of stuff could be really interesting yeah i agree moving on to our next email this one comes in from pantomime and the subject is vertical nether travel this seems to be following up from one of our earlier discussions uh hey johnny and joel i love the show and really enjoy the amazing discussions i find here makes the grind more enjoyable I just listened to episode 122 and heard the topic of the difficulty that comes from moving upwards in the nether quickly. I instantly thought of geysers, or as we pronounce them in the UK, geysers. Uh, for those who are not aware, geysers- Really? O- yeah, it's, it's uh, weird. Uh, the geysers occur when water deep underground is heated to high temperatures, increasing the pressure in the chamber containing the water until the water comes blasting out. What if- There were blocks in the nether where water managed to not evaporate. These could instead create columns of water that have the potential to shoot the player upwards automatically. They could act like monster spawners wherein they're unobtainable. Any thoughts? Keep suspiciously milking those brown mushrooms. Pantomime. (laughs) That last thing is a, a reference to my favorite subtitle in the game, which is if you feed a cow... Uh, a, a brown mushroom, a flower you can get suspicious stew from it and when you gather it it says mushroom gets milked suspiciously <laughs> which is the most specific subtitle <laughs> i've ever seen uh, but yes geezers i don't know why um i think it's just one of those things where the british vowel shift has led to us pronouncing stuff a different way and it's also a homonym geezer is also a word for you know like a cheeky lad you know so you know he's a real geezer so i think it's oh interesting it's it's kind of funny and it's spelt differently but it's meant to you know it's a fun joke to make yeah Uh, alistair in our live chat knows what i'm talking about
1: and, and so uh, geysers would also be producing a lot of hot air or steam so yeah. if you're talking about <laughs> like a, a a person that does that you're like no they're not exactly you know the most truthful person in in the stack so a, um, a,
0: ge- a geezer geezer yes um yeah so I uh, moving moving back to the actual email um I, I think it's a cool idea again the the no water in the nether rule is kind of the main thing the main obstacle here but uh, I mean you could probably seeing it be being done a different way maybe have like a uh, another I mean you've been asking for a new fluid to be added to the nether for a while maybe there is some other sort of fountaining material that maybe can't be obtained by players it's more ephemeral than that uh, but isn't just lava what do you reckon
1: so I was thinking that the idea of geysers in the nether is actually on point like that's a great way to still not have water in the nether as a rule uh, because I don't see that rule changing what if geysers produced steam Mm -hmm. the water in the nether is inaccessible it is trapped in the rocks and you can't get to it but the nether boils it and produces steam if only there was a way to capture this steam if only we had a material that had been recently introduced into the game that a very smart podcaster has suggested making something out of it that would be (laughs) perfect for this new quote-unquote steam
0: <laughs> i see i see where this is going we're, we're back on <laughs> copper pipes again aren't
1: we yeah. well i mean i'm just thinking about how fun and convenient and, and interesting and how much gameplay has come out of the bubble columns and the water mechanics that they introduced in the update aquatic and 113 and then if you think about adding steam uh into the nether so instead of moving things around with water you're moving things around with air Yes. You know, or or well, not air, but steam and like essentially, you know, airflow, uh, creating uh, the opportunity to throw items into an, a steam vent and have them go up or left or right, depending on how you've conducted, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, maybe they don't give you one item that does it like a pipe. Maybe you have to build a pipe out of glass, just like you have to build a waterway out of glass. Um, but I think that would be really cool in order to, you know, to allow some sort of item transportation in the nether. Uh, or in the overworld because if i don't know whether this geyser would be like a location kind of like a um ruined nether portal you know like there are things that occur in the world and you can you find them and tear them down uh if a geyser is something that you could find or i guess a, a better um parallel would be um, what are they called? geodes yeah so geodes there's going to be a certain number of blocks that you can remove but also some that you can't uh, in the way that uh in vanilla minecraft and survival you can't pick up a spawner uh, and i think that this would be a neat idea in that if the steam was available but you had to go to it you couldn't bring it to you uh you could um, maybe you could somehow um it would be neat if you could pick up a block whether a block would be emitting steam or a block would be naturally dormant and then it would only uh have steam if you heated it up so like you'd have to put these geyser blocks on top of lava in order to get them hot enough to do anything yeah uh, I,
0: I'm, I'm thinking it could even work in the same way as you have uh, basalt being produced automatically by having lava sources next to soul sand and blue ice there you, you know? go yeah the, the kind of thing that it, it takes a little bit of work to manipulate that kind of thing but then once it can be used to the player's advantage, you could theoretically set this stuff up anywhere, but not necessarily just bucket it up and place it down. Um, there's the, exactly. the the long-running restaurant industry prank of sending the new guy down the road for a bucket of steam, you know, <laughs> and, then, and then bringing it back and being like, it's empty, go and get another one. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think it'd be... Um, It'd be interesting. You could certainly get a lot out of um, elytra travel that way. Instead of requiring fireworks, yeah. you could have like players riding effect- effectively thermals, which yeah. you'd imagine would take place in the nether anyway, but obviously the mechanics aren't in place for it. Um, yep. And it could be as much of an obstacle as it could be a convenience after a while. But imagine setting up your nether hub around a set of geysers that you could then use to ride steam all the way to your destination without having to use fireworks i feel like that yeah. could be a really interesting innovation in nether travel
1: or if it's just vertical travel like uh in the satisfactory game that i play uh, i don't use these enough and i should there are jump pads and they're essentially like compressed air hydraulic things and you stand on them and they, they kind of like choo, they shoot you up there's not nearly the control that you have with a lighter it's essentially trajectory like you just jump on a giant springboard and it fires you off. Mm -hmm. And that could be really fun too if you know that a a geyser is going to send you a certain number of blocks vertically with maybe a little bit of like horizontal leeway. Uh, So instead of riding a bubble column where you have to like stay in it, you could just basically be shot a certain, like, I don't know, 20 blocks up and just use that instead of stairs or any other kind of vertical travel. You could just kind of use it as like a super jump. But then you also have to be careful to land the right way and things like that. That could be very fun.
0: Yeah, and and if if you combine it with pipes as well, you end up getting like the pneumatic tube delivery system, and yep. <laughs> there's there's potential for it. I like the idea. So yeah, maybe maybe if not liquid, but maybe if steam, uh, potentially we could see uh, something like that as an expansion to the game in future. I like it. I like it. And uh, if it, if Mojang doesn't do it, then mod creators get on it because I I yeah, like it really that though. as an idea. Um let's move into our main topic for this week. Uh, this was an email you brought to the brought to the table from uh, Parker S which I'll read here and then you can uh, give your thoughts on it since you uh, obviously had this one a little bit prepared ahead of time. Uh the subject is music and the Minecraft update cycle so hey johnny and joel i've been thinking a lot about how music creates ambience in games i recently finished the game hollow knight and i like the way the music was set to be ambience that added to the experience i like the minecraft music for the same thing but in a different way unlike hollow knight minecraft doesn't always have music playing i never notice when minecraft starts its music unless i put pigstep into my jukebox but when the subtle ambient music is playing in the background it always heightens my experience of the game I think the large expanse of caves needs a touch up on its music, especially with this new update, and I'm really excited to see how the ambience of new different types of caves could be complemented with just that touch of music. I also wanted to touch on the way the Caves and Cliffs update was introduced. I'm of the opinion that a lot being introduced at once but with little detail, like the Spyglass being introduced on announcement but not a lot of info being given about it, is a good thing. It gives the community a lot to speculate about and time to speculate about it, which I find really fun. Do you guys think the introduction to the update could have been done differently or better? Off to explore for my own answers, Parker.
1: So with music uh especially with what we saw in the nether update i hope and i think that we will get a music update in the overworld at least with the new cave biomes uh with caves and cliffs uh i defer to you as as far as your minecraft music knowledge goes and and you know your history of that because i think you're definitely more more steeped in that than i am yeah um because and the reason why i say that is because i've always found it so puzzling that how like about how much music there is and has been made for minecraft and how little you actually hear when you turn on the music in game
0: yeah yeah so i i went to the minecraft wiki page about this because like you i thought there's not really a great deal of music that plays when you're in the overworld there are actually about 12 different tracks that play when you're just on the surface in the overworld um there are also an additional six that are only in creative mode Um, But there are about 12, which is a surprise, I think, to most people. And that doesn't even count the stuff that's in individual biomes. Like, there are three additional tracks that play when you're underwater. Um, And I think it's because it's random, so you often hear the same track multiple times. But a decent chunk of the music from Minecraft Volume Alpha that isn't, like, a music disc or I think there's one that's, like, a track that always plays over the end credits when you've jumped into the portal after fighting the dragon... I think a lot of it sounds thematically very similar. It's using a lot of the same instruments. It's got the same kind of melody. Um, and the melody is always fairly simple. Like, it's usually just a few notes played on, like, a um, a glockenspiel-type instrument. You know, like, a, there's, there's chimes and stuff happening in the background. And I think you just... It, it all sort of tends to blend in. As Parker was saying in this email, you almost don't notice it sort of subtly fading in in the background and so you don't always attribute it to okay it's playing a new piece of music that i've never heard before let me memorize that it just kind of exists in the background so it is a surprise to me to learn that there are actually like 12 different songs that can play in the overworld but that is that is how many there are according to the the minecraft wiki page about the music
1: i think it's the random thing that gets me because i definitely feel like i hear the same three to four tracks
0: yeah yeah and and there's i think there might even be a couple that are just almost like follow on from the previous tracks like if you played them in sequence there would be more of like a musical story happening but because you get one for maybe like three minutes at a time before it fades out again then you always tend to hear the same ones um and if not music for the cave update then i think ambience definitely i would love to walk into a dripstone oh, cave yeah. and actually hear drippy cave ambience um yes. <laughs> and personally i mean uh, you may be the same here, Joel. I, I don't normally play Minecraft with the music on because if I'm live streaming, there is usually music from a music player in the background. Uh, you and I both use Pretzel, I think, and then yes, um, like during videos, it'd make for some kind of awkward cuts because if I, you know, mess up what I'm saying, if my, you know, brain doesn't move as fast as my mouth does, and I'm trying to do some commentary and I have to make an edit, then the cut ends up taking into account the entire video including the music that was playing at the time and so without kind of fading the music into a different section and ending up like overlapping some of that stuff the music's going to sound really disjointed because suddenly it's going to cut to a different note playing in the background um so yeah I i don't tend to play with music on most of the time anyway i would imagine the majority of players do though because a lot of people are going to be playing on you know tablets and consoles and so forth they're going to be playing more casually anyway because you know the minecraft Mm -hmm. player base is not made entirely of content creators and so i expect a lot of people are playing with the music so it'd be really nice to hear some new music for the cave biomes just so that folks can uh, can get the full experience of it
1: And I played with music when I was not a content creator. Like when I was learning to play Minecraft and working on like Snake Mountain and my original kind of world and exploring that, I absolutely had the music on and and enjoyed it. Like there was lots of, I really enjoyed the chill vibe of the game and the music kind of went hand in hand with that. Um, Like you, I don't play with music on um, because uh, I don't have it on during my stream. I do use pretzel during my breaks, but I... I don't have it on during the stream because I do end up repurposing the VODs later for yeah. potential YouTube things. I uh, haven't done that for a while. I'm returning to that this year. But for the longest time, I just wasn't able to record separately. So I was actually editing my VODs down into like 20 minute episodes. And again, for that reason, like having the music out of it um, was would be great. I don't know. Uh, and you might know the answer to this in terms of the licensing around the Minecraft music. Like if you're playing the game and creating YouTube videos, as so many people do, where you clearly make money over, uh, out of them, would you then be able to use like the Minecraft soundtrack and put that in the background later? Like as, a, as an editor, like would you be able to take some of those tracks provided that you bought the soundtrack? Would you be able to then put them in? Because technically it's the same music that would be played in the game.
0: Yeah, I think video game music is one of those weird gray areas that still exists mm. in copyright law. Like I've definitely heard a few people say that they've been flagged for using Pigstep in their videos or streams. Um, and that may be because Pigstep is also... And a lot of the Minecraft music is now on Spotify, and so it registers, Mm. depending on what music libraries they are comparing it to for these automated checks, it might register as a a copyrighted track that is not necessarily licensed free to use in that version, but maybe through other licensing it is. I know a lot of people tend to play like video game music or video game remixes when they stream other things, um, and I think that... I, I don't know if there's a specific clause in the Minecraft license agreement that allows you to use the music in particular, if it mentions the music specifically, but of course Minecraft comes with the uh, the part of the license agreement that says you can make uh, you know video content or stream this game as long as it is your own work, like as long as you are commentating over yeah. it or you're doing something unique, if it's not just like, I don't know, copying basic minecraft gameplay with no commentary or something like that yeah um, and yeah. i think that's that's really just to kind of to to cover them for any liability that might result from people thinking this was you know generic minecraft footage from minecraft themselves but uh yeah i, I don't know where music falls in that it's a, a bit of a weird gray area especially with a lot of copyright law tightening on folks who stream on Twitch and and make YouTube videos right now.
1: Yeah, because I've seen, I mean, I've seen people that stream with Pretzel or some other royalty-free service. There's several out there um, for uh, Twitch, and they keep the music playing during their Minecraft, you know, streams. Uh, And then I've also seen people that do something completely different where they're doing a Minecraft stream, and it's medieval building, it's very thematic, uh, and they've got video game music playing from, say, Skyrim right yeah. which is a beautiful soundtrack but because it's a video game soundtrack you know they're they're either not going to or less likely to be flagged from from twitch to say like oh you can't listen to that because like what if you were playing Skyrim? <laughs> like you, you know i don't know whether twitch looks at the game being played and the category you're in versus the music that's being played or not uh, i don't know how in depth I, I doubt it honestly um but um it's cool to kind of layer music into minecraft i find that you know music in, in any game uh as uh parker pointed out with what was it hollow knight um it plays a big role and in a lot of ways because of the way that you know we play without music i kind of feel sad that uh you know i i don't have the ambient or the music um playing in the nether the new stuff i've barely heard it because i've just because when the nether update came out i was very much into being a content creator and so i don't hear that nearly as often um i do hope uh similar to like the basalt delta with like the cracking basalt and the static and um i i think there's actually some decent sound effects in is it the crimson forest in the Nether? yeah um but like having stuff like that in cave updates and different cave biomes like you said drip caves like but what does a lush cave sound like what does a cave that we've not seen sound like how echoey and cool do those massive caves sound like like that that i think is gonna be really cool as far as ambient sound not so much music
0: yeah i think the the one way minecraft sound can still evolve and we'll get onto the the development cycle stuff in a second because that was sort of the 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 meat of this question i think um Mm -hmm. i think is having sound effects react to the environment more which i think is a lot more complicated when it comes to minecraft because obviously like the player is in control of their environment a lot more than they would be in another game. So making a cave where your footsteps echo as you walk across a stone floor would be pretty cool but then how does the game react to you then remodeling that cave to be smaller (laughs) like it couldn't be biome specific it would have to be environmental and that involves the game making a lot more checks about what's happening in your environment right now but Mm. um yeah it, it, it could be as simple as like if there is a block over the player's head then assume they are in an area where their footsteps would echo with a certain amount of reverberation um (laughs) it, it, it might not work for all environments but i think that's one way the sound of minecraft could still change a little bit beyond the ambience and stuff they've added is start to add a little bit more realistic uh reflective sound and uh and sound sort of interacting with the environment a little bit more
1: So moving on to the Caves and Cliffs update uh, and how it's being, I guess, rolled out in terms of how early we've heard about a lot of the features and yet how little we know. Um, The uh, Parker mentioned the spyglass. Uh, You just earlier this week mentioned um, the archaeology aspects of Caves and Cliffs Um, as I mean, I'll speak for me, I'm sure. I mean, feel free, obviously, to chime in whenever, Johnny. But like as someone that podcasts about Minecraft, the ambiguity of the development cycle overall is good for us because it just means more conversations, more speculation you know, more things to talk about when someone, you know, when they drop an image or an announcement or a title of something and you kind of go, what is that? And then we have to like, we can dive into a couple of episodes of like our own personal knowledge of Minecraft, our listeners' personal knowledge of Minecraft, what they bring to the table and what they think something might be happening. Um, It can be a bit frustrating when all you have to go on is just an image or an idea that Mojang presents without at least some functionality either mentioned or at least have a hands-on in a snapshot it's it's fun to speculate but I find that the longer that I, I podcast especially when it becomes like a professional thing I want to remain factual like I don't want to because because we do report news on the show um, we just have to be careful in how we frame things that we talk about and making sure that we're mentioning this is just my thoughts or my spin or my guess as opposed to stating something as fact or in a way that sounds factual when we are we have nothing, you know, to go on other than just whatever Mojang has put out there. Um, so while it's fun to f- speculate, I find that it's kind of hard, you have to walk that line between what could it possibly do, what will it likely do, and what will it actually do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to think that we're pretty good on the show in thinking like Mojang, you know, quote unquote, and speculating what would happen inside of that box, you know, like inside of those, you know, time in versus reward out versus does it meet the spirit of Minecraft? Is it just a one block solution? Because they don't do that. And players think they want that, but they really don't like stuff like that. We tend to not go down those lines. I think for our speculation conversations, we tend to kind of like think, okay, well, this is what I would want. But this is probably not going to happen. But if it was, like, how would it be framed in like the Minecraft world? Yeah um, You know, that's kind of like where I land on speculation. Like is that how do you approach it?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm on board. I, I think it's it's nice to know about some features with different levels of depth. And I think this is something that we we kind of overlook a lot of the time, but in the Minecraft live announcement we've had so much stuff that is okay, we know a lot about what this feature is and what it's going to do primarily. And obviously, like, the the details of that stuff get worked out through the development process. So we know the warden is going to be there and it's going to hear you, but it can't see you. And it's going to be just a really tough monster. But then it comes out during development that they're friends with axolotls or rabbits or whatever. The, <laughs> there's, like, a little bit of extra detail always gets layered on that adds some some extra stuff. and And largely that is often just community response to certain features. I think that's the key part here is how much the community can actually contribute during the development process in a way that it's either ideas that Mojang didn't have themselves already and just think, oh cool, that's a really cool idea and the, the community's latching onto this this aspect of it, we can take it in that direction, or it's ideas that they have had already and they just get their suspicions confirmed about, okay, this seems like what the community wants. Um,
1: or doesn't want.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, and there, there are a few things though that don't even get mentioned and then turn up as surprises. <laughs> and some of that is my favourite stuff because yeah. we weren't expecting tinted glass. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they're like, oh, by the way, as part of the Amethyst Geode thing, have a transparent block that doesn't let light through. <laughs> and suddenly we're like, okay, that's like really cool for various things. And you can immediately imagine a few different things you want to do with it, mostly about mob spawns. But I think it's it's nice that they're developing ideas in the background that don't have to be given out to the community. They're just really basic concepts that fulfill, like they tick certain boxes, like transparent block, but... No no light lets gets let through it. And I think it's it's cool that they have that much confidence in their own ideas that they can hold some of that stuff back and then just wait to see what people do with it instead of announcing it all up front and then leaving us with nothing to feel that anticipation for. Um so I'm I, I really like the way Mojang does that kind of stuff. Um and first impressions of features are important. And I think what we saw a lot of the time from Minecraft live was a a bunch of people saying I like this this and this and I don't like that that and that even though some of the features that are there are basically all um, like work in progress and some of them are in the very early stages of development but they're just the ideas that Mojang is most excited about and so I think showing us the stuff that they're immediately excited about is a good way of doing it because it gets enthusiasm from the community rolling but then you have a little bit of backlash that comes along with that right you get stuff like people saying well I don't know how bundles are going to help and like this archaeology thing seems like a an education feature or whatever and and then suddenly you have like a broader debate happening within the community rather than people just saying okay this is what I'm going to use that for so and, and maybe that's part of the point maybe that's a, a good way of them judging player interest in a lot of these features but If they've already announced these things and are committed to them, then, you know, I I wonder at what point they need to maybe just keep it under wraps until the feature is more developed.
1: I do sort of wonder whether there's a strategy there. Like, I kind of wonder whether knowing very little about something, you know, whether there's a strategy to saying like, look, we know where we want to take, I'm going to use archaeology as an example. Uh, We know where we want to take archaeology, but let's just announce it. Give very, very little information and see what people say. And then we can unveil, you know, where we were planning to go all along. Or we can tweak it in the background, whatever, and no one would ever know. It's a lot easier, I would think, to do that from a development standpoint where you're like, okay, if we don't tell them all the details and they come down and say, I hope it's this or I hope it's that or I hope it's not this. And then we can just adjust it in the background, having never had to backtrack, right? Because if they did an announcement and they changed it, it's not a change that we know of, right? It's just how it is. Uh, And I'm just, I'm curious about that because on one hand, I feel like there's definitely a downside to announcing something where there's not a lot of information because the internet is the internet and people will pile on to something like it's kind of, you know, the in is to basically, uh, I'm glad you mentioned bundles, you know, kind of not hate on bundles, but like basically there's this. There was this pile, which I think you've done a very good job of, of, um, uh, debating of bundles are not the solution we want. Bundles are not shulker boxes. And your, you know, statement in your video was like, yes, they're not, they're not supposed to be, (laughs) but there was this pile of, of internet, you know, um, I guess, back, not backlash, but like um, feedback that was like, well, these aren't what we want them to be. It's like, no, because Mojang's not going to give you this one, you're not going to get a creative inventory you know, in survival. Like that's just not what's going to happen. And I think that when you put something out and not release enough information about it, then that becomes like a problem for the downward spiral of like, if it's something that people don't like or enough people don't like, then everyone will start to jump on that bandwagon. And I'm guilty of it. Like, I, I'm not very excited about archaeology, but I have to kind of like wheel myself back and say like, I don't know anything about it. Archaeology might be the one way to make one of the coolest new things in the game that we have no idea what's coming. Like you said, uh, with uh, tinted glass, you know, like there could be something related to archaeology that I want and I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. You know, at which point I might have to deal with it in game or want to deal with it in game. I don't know. So I can't come down on it. Um, what I And I try to do that, you know, when we talk about stuff like that on the show, I try to shape my language in a way like saying like, I don't, dislike archaeology i can't i don't know what it is i'm not excited about it because i don't know anything about it yet really yeah and i think that's kind of like where you have to gauge you know your interest and excitement in the way that you provide feedback or conversations not you specifically but like you know the general us the minecraft player um in that like you know shape your statements you know to be reflective of the thing that you're talking about like if you know a lot about it like you know hey we've had a few weeks now with um snapshots that have um skulk sensors in them and people are getting a general sense about how they work i mean my general feedback is that they're pretty cool they make annoying noises though you know so like there's ups and downs but we know that we know that from you know playing with them you know for an hour in a snapshot before doing a podcast and i think that without that hands-on it is. It does become difficult, especially with a game like Minecraft, to just kind of like explain things from a the- theoretical standpoint. Yeah. Like archaeology on paper might be really cool, but then to go play it, it might not be very fun, or vice versa. It might look like like doldrums on paper, but it could be very engaging in game. I you know until we actually have hands on, um, it's hard to really form an opinion on that kind of stuff.
0: I I think that's a really interesting point. I just wanted to highlight that the fact that it might not look exciting to you when you're watching somebody else do it. Like if, if you're looking at the Minecraft Live uh, presentation about archaeology and thinking, well, that looks kind of boring, but then you actually get the stuff in your hand and you give it a try and it turns out to be really cool. I think that's there's two separate sides of the experience there. And I, I find myself thinking that way when it comes to redstone like if anybody tries to explain redstone to me verbally if they say well what you actually want to do is create a pulse extender there that creates an rs nor latch into this i'm immediately lost but then if Mm -hmm. i actually play with redstone and i get that hands-on stuff myself then i I i kind of feel my way through it a lot more and so the tactile experience of some of these features is going to differ potentially from your early experience of just looking at them uh and so that's that's kind of a good message i think to the community who's still not sure about some of these things is is again like maybe reserve your judgment until you actually know how they feel to play
1: and i think we're going to need more snapshots like i mean and i'm, I'm looking forward to more snapshots in particular the world generation adjustments um because i don't know enough about minecraft and how it's made what its limitations are like how many millions more blocks it means when they increase a the world height, like all that kind of stuff. It's just so hard to fathom when you're not a developer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm looking forward to having the hands-on in those in those snapshots and seeing those generation adjustments. And I'm hoping... I mean, I, I don't see them releasing more than one snapshot a week, unless they're like, you know, hot fixing a crazy bug, you know, what yeah. crashes people's worlds and things like that. Uh, but I'm hoping that, you know, as they ramp up in 2021 and everybody at Mojang gets back to work and 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 they decide to start releasing new snapshots. I'm hoping it's going to be a regular thing. Now, sure, yes, selfishly that does give us a lot of stuff to talk about on the podcast. Um, but I think that this long tooth in the development cycle for Caves and Cliffs is just going to be uh it's going to give them a lot of feedback. It's going to get them a, you know, it's going to get a lot of criticism, constructive, you know, and otherwise um going back to Mojang and and that I think in the end, we'll just end up making a better update for for everyone. Um, yeah. When did they say it's coming out? Summer 2021, which could be as late as August, right? Yeah,
0: it's like it could be as early as June or as late as August. So right. we, we we have a lot of time to wait in the meantime. And obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, as, as far as the show goes, we're looking forward to to getting into this stuff. But I, I feel like this, it was good that this email came out at a time when we didn't have a new snapshot to talk about. It was kind of a, yes. a timely one. And um. I want to do the the responsible adult thing, although if you're this far into the podcast you're probably a more patient person so you probably understand uh, where I'm coming from here but uh, it's worth taking the opportunity to remind people that the developers are not just developers, they are human beings and they, they often have to take time to do other things. I only bring this up because some of the developers have had to quite publicly uh, remind people via Twitter that they don't work during holidays <laughs> um, and it, it's easy for us because Um, you know, we're creators ourselves, but I feel like sometimes people get this false impression when you're dealing with this blurred line between recreation and work. Uh, People can often assume that folks who are working in fun fields like game development, all they want to do is develop the game. Uh, They are employees. (laughs) Um, And and while I'm sure many of them are passionate about their work, it is still work, and once they're off the clock, I expect they want to just do something else. So... If you're thinking about <laughs> demanding snapshots from the developers, have patience, because patience is going to lead to this being a better update uh, 100% of the time, um, and they've already announced when it's going to come out within, you know, a three-month range, but still, like, if we are looking at potentially a six to nine-month wait until we get the uh, the full release of the Caves and Cliffs update, then that's a lot of time, but that's also a lot of time for us to give our feedback in a constructive way and hopefully see some really cool features coming out of minecraft this year. But that seems like a good point to wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today, at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com/slash the Spawn Chunks and joining our community. Pledging there at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only Discord chat, where right now folks are listening to this show being recorded live. And you'll also be able to get us closer to our next milestone goals, which is more hangouts like this one, except we'd just be chatting about Minecraft and what everyone in our Patreon community has been doing uh we're currently at 216 patrons which is another increase from last week thank you so much to the new folks who have hopped on board and special thanks go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jumbo Sail, Paul Bo baggins and yitz for your support on this episode
1: sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show it's free you can find us at the sponge chunks on twitter and instagram but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, or maybe even just like a mime from across the road and say, hey, you should listen to the Spawn Chunks and let them know where they can go to listen. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you get a podcast. You can contact the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com, and you can find the RSS feed linked on the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the patreon page and that's where you can listen to the render distance the extended version of the podcast my name is johnny but online i go by pixel Rifts. you can find most of what
0: i do at youtube.com slash where i attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the minecraft survival guide i am also a streamer on twitch i stream three days a week doing behind the scenes work for survival guide and other series and i'm the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which you can find through a quick youtube search aside from that i'm at pixel Rifts on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online
1: Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You'll also find links to social media and everything there. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast, all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can find that at thecitadelcafe.com. This month, we are welcoming Stephen ESC as my new permanent co-host on the show. Uh, we talked about Detective Pikachu and Wolfwalkers this past week, and you can look forward to more from Stephen uh, the first Monday, or sorry, the first Wednesday of every month going forward. I'm really excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, and of course, Do- Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am streaming Minecraft, and currently Oxygen Not Included, um, at least twice a week for for most of those uh it's been a lot of fun i'm having a great deal of of uh, fun on twitch with you folks and uh, hope to see you there thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is
0: infinite listen to the music of the cubes